got more than we'll get to this morning. Um, one of the key things that we've been saying over and over is that you were never meant to live in this world with the view of the world that comes from the world. And the way we look at things determines how we experience them. And if you go all the way back to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul said that he spoke like a child because he understood like a child because he thought like a child. But when he became a man, he put away childish things. And we said that is a significant shift in Scripture because we see that a child doesn't experience things the way an adult does and vice versa. And as long as we think, understand, and speak like a child, we're going to experience things like a child. But when we begin to mature in the things of God and to see things more clearly and to see things uh, differently, then how we experience those things will change. And that's at the heart of this word that came the beginning of this year from the, from the Lord to us is that he wanted to produce a significant shift in our lives this year. Now, we live in a world that is ran by the devil. And it amazes me at how seemingly controversial that, <laughs> that is in some circles, despite what the Bible says about it clearly. And I'm not here to teach that this morning. We've taught it for years here at Heritage. But Jesus himself said that the devil is the ruler of this world. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 clearly identifies Satan as the God, lowercase g-o-d, of this world. And we see that this entire world is under the sway, under the influence of the deceiver, of, of the father of lies. But thank God we're not, we're not of this world. We, we've been born again into the kingdom of God. And so the Bible makes a very clear line that distinguishes the difference between one who's of this world and in this world versus someone who is not of this world yet in this world. So we're not of this world, but we're in this world in order to change this world for our Father's glory, amen, to establish and build His church and His kingdom here in this life, amen, amen. Aren't you glad Father has more than a hundred year plan for your life, amen? But there's a very significant part of what we're doing now, and I know it's sometimes hard for some people to grasp or wrap their minds around, but this portion of your existence is the briefest portion, uh, the time that we spend here in this world but not of it, is the, is the, it's a vapor, the Bible says. It's, a, it's the briefest portion of our eternal existence, and yet so much of what comes next will be determined by what we do during the time that we're here on this earth. Now, you did not wake up in a neutral world this morning. And I, again, have made that statement for years everywhere I've had the opportunity to teach because we need to understand this. You did not wake up in a neutral world. If it were a neutral world, it would have been just as easy to get up and come to church as it, as it was for a lot of people who chose to sleep in this morning. If it were a neutral world, it would be just as easy to read your Bible as it is to watch TV. If it were a neutral world, a boneless, skinless baked chicken breast would be just as appealing as a double bacon cheeseburger. If it were a neutral world, I could go on, I got a lot of these, amen. If it were a neutral world, tolerance would be a two-way street, amen. <laughs> but we all know that it's not, amen. If it were a neutral world... How about this one? This is one of my favorites. A compliment would carry the same weight as a criticism. But it's not a neutral world. A hundred people can tell you, man, that is a nice haircut. One person can tell you, who in the world cut your hair? 
And that one negative comment, if you let it, will, will outweigh and over, you'll go looking for a hat. He said, well, I'll put a hat on, man. They think my hair looks goofy. So I'm trying to show you that we didn't wake up in a neutral world. We, we live in a negative world. And if we're going to be positive, faith-filled people living amongst a negative world, we're going to have to deliberately, intentionally not allow the world that we live in to conform us and to press in on us. And I don't know if you realize this or not. I pray that you do because th- this was what we'll eventually get to this morning. But Jesus said, actually, it's a strong word. He charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and, and Herod. Okay, so we'll get to that verse in a minute. It's in Mark chapter 8, verse 15. But think about the, the strong terminology that Jesus is using there. He charged them. Um, a, a charge given by someone in authority is the strongest possible language. This wasn't a suggestion. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, a charge is even supersedes a command. Uh, it, it is, it is oh, very powerful language. And then Jesus used two related words, but different words, when he said, take heed and beware. Charge them to take heed and beware. Charge them to take heed and beware. And, and what he's literally saying with take heed and beware, he's saying you need to recognize something that not many people recognize. You, you need to have your eyes open to something that a lot of people don't notice and don't understand and aren't paying attention to. And what he's talking about here, of course, is the tremendous amount of pressure from the world that we live in being applied to us to try and get us to look at things the way the world looks at them, to see things through the same lens the world is, is looking through and living through. And of course, Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First uh, John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you, come on now, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Let me give you the whole verse. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, and he who is against you. Okay. Now, the imagery there of 1 John 4, 4 is, and I like to use this example of uh, an underwater diver back when they wore the, and I guess they still do, uh, the, uh, the, the suit where the air hose was connected to the helmet. Anybody remember those? Amen. And, um, and that's different from someone who carries uh, a tank of oxygen on their backs and goes underwater. The, the deep water divers would get in the suit because the air being supplied to the top of the helmet wasn't just for breathing, but it was to prevent the pressure from the deeper waters from, from coming in on and, and literally crushing the diver that's in that suit. And so when we see greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world against you, we see that the, that the God on the inside of us is always bigger, and, and if we'll allow Him to, to push out, amen, uh, it'll prevent the world from pushing in and, and conforming us and molding us into thinking the way they think and seeing things the way they see them. Are you still with me this morning? All right. So Satan's efforts against us have always been to distort um, our vision or the way that we look at things. We've, we've covered that extensively in, um, in the last few weeks uh, out of Mark chapter 8 and, and, and different passages. 
But one thing that we said last week, and I want to, I'll jump in here. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Amen. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Anybody born again in the room this morning? Amen. Well, that means you've been born of God. And if you're born of God, then overcoming the world is your birthright. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, there's a lot of teaching here that, that, that we're going to leave on the table. Amen. I'm not here to you know, give you 40 minutes on this verse. But he's saying here that those who have been born again are now in position to live a victorious life. But you can be born again and be in position to live a victorious life, but still not live every day of your life in victory if you don't know how to walk in faith, if you don't know how to live by faith. So he's saying, whoever's born of God, whatever's born of God overcomes the world, but this is the victory. This is how you do it practically. Are you following me? This is how you live in victory, the victory that's yours, that's your birthright as a son or daughter of God. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, if, if you're not born again and if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're not going to overcome the world even if you are deceived into thinking that you're doing it. You're, you're not, okay? Now, I want to try to tie some things together here because Romans 12 says that God has given to every person the measure of faith. So, Every person that's listening to me right now has been given the measure of faith by God Himself. And we know that that faith that resides within every human being on planet Earth is awakened and aroused when they hear the Word of God. So faith is a spiritual substance, and the Word of God is spirit and life. And when the spiritual substance of God's Word comes into contact with the spiritual substance of the faith that God has given you, the God kind of faith that's in you, a reaction takes place. Things begin to come to the surface. Things begin to, to turn and, and even churn, uh, in, in some cases, uh, inside of people's hearts. The classic example of this is when King Agrippa trotted the Apostle Paul out like some dog and pony show to, to interview him and to interrogate him. And the Apostle Paul began to talk about his supernatural conversion to Christ. And King Agrippa says, basically, get him out of here. He's almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Well, it, it wasn't that Paul, I mean, he, Paul was a brilliant speaker. But that wasn't what was almost persuading King Agrippa to get saved that day. It was Paul sharing the Word of God that King Agrippa knew and it was awakening and arousing faith within him to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. This is why you can go to a, to a nation, or, or for that matter in our country, but it would be hard to imagine someone in our country, but I'm sure they're here. But you could go to someone who's never heard the name of Jesus a single time, and if they will open up their heart to hear and receive the, the gospel truth, the gospel message, faith will rise up in them to receive salvation. Amen. So again... God has given to every person the measure of faith, and faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Well, that means the faith that you've been given makes you a threat to Satan and his powers of darkness. 
And so, as we've said over and over again, he can't steal from you what God has given to you, but his strategies and tactics against you are to try to neutralize you, to try to, to uh, especially to, to neutralize your faith. And, and we see that there are a few different ways that, that the enemy does that. One of the ways is through um, bitterness and unforgiveness and things of this nature because the faith that you've been given, it works by love. And so if, if Satan can get you, that's why he, you know, there's not a person in this room that hasn't been hurt, offended, wounded in some way by another human being. That's Satan's business. That's his work. That's what he wants to do because he's trying to get unforgiveness. He's trying to get anger. He's trying to get offense. You become offended. Uh, and, and ultimately, he's hoping that that thing will stay in your heart long enough to put down a root of bitterness. And, and among other things, being you know, the misery and, and the, the angst and the suffering that that causes you as an individual if you hold on to those kinds of things. But the other benefit for the, for the devil, and obviously not a benefit for you or for our Father in Heaven, is that as long as we're not walking in love towards other people, our faith has in essence been neutralized. Because the very thing that energizes your faith, are you with me still this morning? Remember, love is to your faith what gasoline is to your car. It energizes it. Energeo is, is the Greek word that we find there. Faith worketh by love. Okay. So, so do you see how the enemy, is? that's one of his strategies, to neutralize your faith and to prevent you from being able to walk in faith and thereby walk in victory. Amen. Another one is that we see that faith gives substance to things hoped for. And so Satan tries to neutralize your faith on that end by undermining your expectations. By, by um, you know, if we're not careful, the older we get, the less expectations we have for good and the more expectations we have for negative things, also known as regret. Regret uh, is... <laughs> is looking back on missed out opportunities and losses in life, but then we tend to project those things forward. Um, we, we were singing those um, who wait upon the Lord uh, this morning, and, uh, and, and I love that. But remember, waiting upon the Lord literally means expecting upon the Lord. Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? You need to ask yourself that question a lot. I try to ask myself that question very frequently. Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? Because the expectations in your heart give your faith something to produce in your life. So the world says, better not get your hopes up. That's a, that's a lie from the devil. Because the devil knows that if he can keep you from getting your expectations up, amen, your faith will be neutralized from that side. Are you seeing what I'm talking about here this morning? Another huge way this, that the devil tries to neutralize faith is by keeping faith separated from the Word of God. And Jesus taught us a tremendous parable on this uh, about comparing the Word of God to seed and the conditions of people's hearts as soil. And what do we see? Every time the Word of God is sown, planted in people's hearts, what does the devil do? He comes immediately to steal it. And, and it's easy for him to steal the word from people who don't understand it. That's why we review and rehash and reiterate and say the same thing five different ways. Because, again, um, if you don't understand it, the devil's going to steal it from you. And if the devil steals the word from you, it's not going to produce God's results in your life. All right? 
But then we, we see where Jesus goes on through the different soil conditions and, and, and you have those who receive the word and they shot up, were so excited, but th- then when the pressure came, uh, they collapsed. Then you got the folks who received the word and the word was producing results in their lives and Satan couldn't steal it and he couldn't choke it out. I, I'm sorry, he couldn't wilt it down and so he choked it out with all kinds of other things. Are you following me? So we like, to, we like to simplify that parable. You've got the people who quit before they understood. You've got the people who quit before they became established. And then you've got the people who quit and never knew they did. Amen. There was just a slow fade. And next thing you know, you don't see them anymore in the things of God. But then you've got folks like all of us this morning who refuse to quit. No, no matter what challenges we face or difficulties or things that even we experience that we may not understand in the moment, um, we're, we're like uh, Peter. Where else will we go, Jesus? You have the words of life. We're, we're, we're holding on to you even when we don't understand, even when stuff we're going through doesn't make sense right now. We know that you're a good God. We know that you are a merciful God. We know that you are a kind and loving God. We know that you would rather die for us and live without us. Amen. 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 And, and, we, and we're, not, we're not going anywhere. We're staying right here with you all the way through to the end. Amen. Now, I said all that to say there's yet another way Satan tries to neutralize our faith. And and this is one of the most common and I guess in some ways one of the more subtle ways. And we find this in James chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 where we're instructed to ask in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For, let, for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He goes on to say that he is a double-minded man and unstable. For some reason I didn't get that last part uh, in, my, uh, in my notes. But it goes on to say that he's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So a lot of times we, you know, we try to understand doubt. And I think anyone who understands at least beginner levels... Of, of these teachings understands the problem of doubt and we've got to we've got to get rid of the doubt okay and and obviously that's a no-brainer that's important but I want you to look a little closer at, at what he's talking about here because what doubt alongside faith in the heart does is it creates this situation of double-mindedness of double-mindedness so what is this next strategy that Satan tries to use against us to neutralize our faith? It's double-mindedness. Now, um, here's a simple point, okay? You cannot walk in faith and double-mindedness at the same time. Now, our, one of our key scripture verses, and we did not read it as we began this morning, but one of our key scripture verses is out of Matthew 6 for this study. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says, if your eye be single, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of, of, of light. But if your eye be bad, okay, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the darkness it is with, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? All right. So I want to try to connect those things together before we move forward this morning, okay? <clears throat> Satan. Well, if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, before they sinned, they had, single, they had a single focus, right? It was good, and it was God, and it was only good, and God's a good God, 
and everything they knew about themselves and, and everything else in life was good. They did not have the capacity to see what the Bible calls evil. But when they sinned, we see that their eyes were opened to now seeing both good and evil. And we've done a lot of teaching on that. I'm not going to try to go back to that. But notice now what, what was opened. Amen. <laughs> what was opened was their ability to see things apart from God. In other words, they're no longer seeing things the way God sees them. They're no, long, no longer looking through the lens that God created them and intended for them to look at things through. But now they've, they've got a, an overlay lens. Okay. Um, and so there's different ways. I think we said this, I don't know, several weeks back. If I took a pair of glasses that had yellow lenses and put them on, everything I see now is going to have some tint of yellow to it because I'm looking through those lenses. And remember now, the lens you look through becomes the lens you live through. The lens you look through becomes the lens you live through. And so Satan, remember, we covered this last week, he, he is what a master deceiver and he's the father of lies. What is the purpose, though, of his deceptions? What is the purpose of, of, his, of his lies? Is that he's trying to get you and me to see things in a distorted way. He doesn't want us to see things the way our Father in Heaven sees them. He wants us to try to live in this world with a view of this world that comes from this world. But that's not how we live in victory. We don't live in victory seeing things the way the world sees them. We live in victory seeing things the way our Father in Heaven created us and intends for us to see them. That heavenly view, that heavenly perspective. Now, I made a statement last week, and I want to go back to it because it uh, certainly... Uh, had the potential to be confusing, and, I, and I, I didn't want to confuse anyone. But we said this, that if we're going to be victorious over the enemy, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to be victorious over his deceptions. His deceptions. And that a lot of people try to compensate for deception or things that they believe that are incorrect, ways of looking at things that are incorrect in their lives. They try to compensate for that by saying things like, in the name of Jesus, or by pleading the blood of Jesus. Now, I believe in speaking the name of Jesus, and we sing about it around here, right? I believe in pleading the blood of Jesus. I believe in speaking to the devil and commanding him to go. We are instructed to do that in Scripture. So please don't misunderstand me to be saying, or or to think that I'm saying that we shouldn't do that, right? But that alone is not going to get you victory over the devil if you are living in deception by the devil. Are you following what I'm saying? So let, let, me, let me, and I know for some of you this may seem so bizarre, but there are actually, believe it or not, there are actually people in the body of Christ who believe, who believe, despite what the Bible says, who believe that God uses the devil to discipline his children. That God uses the devil to somehow bring judgment to his children. Well, Pastor Mark, doesn't the Bible teach that? No, the Bible does not teach that. Certainly does not teach that under the new covenant under which we now live. The Bible is very clear about it. That, that there is no agreement between light and darkness. There is no accord between Christ and, and Belial. There, there is no fellowship uh, b- between righteousness and unrighteousness. 
And, and God doesn't, he doesn't violate his word. And I, I'm not here to preach that, but it just, it just really irritates me that people believe that and preach that and say such ridiculous things as that. But, now, but, but watch this, though. Let's say um, that, that you know, someone does see it that way. That's the lens that they are living through. That's the lens that they're looking through. In other words, they've put on the glasses that says God uh, uh, conspires with the devil to bring punishment to uh, his, uh, his children. Okay? That, that's the, the perspective by which they live their lives. Okay? So how effective is it going to be when they go to bind the devil? Because the deception that that is now in their heart that they're living their lives by on a day-by-day basis will always cause them to question. Because if you believe that God uses the devil to punish his children, then who's to say that if you're rebuking the devil, you're actually rebuking God? You see, if, if, if God had sent the storm that threatened the life of Jesus and his disciples, then when Jesus stood in the bow of the boat and rebuked the storm, he would have actually been rebuking his father. But we know the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10, I call it the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the Word of God, with the, with the, with the Supreme Court being everything written in red, straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. Now, I'm not trying to open another can of worms, trying to put the worms back in the can that I may have let out last week. But I'm just, I'm just trying to show you... I'm, Speak the name of Jesus, plead the blood of Jesus, all of these things. But you're not going to be victorious over the devil if, if, if you're living your life deceived by the devil. What do we got to do? We, we got to get the truth. We, we got to be looking at these things the way God sees them. And the more we see things the way God sees them, guess what? The more victorious we're going to be over the enemy. Compare how Eve fared against Satan's tactics, and then Satan used the same tactics on Jesus, and Jesus was victorious over him. Why is that? You you can say all kinds of different things. Well, he was the Son of God. He was a human being. But he saw things more clearly. At the end of the day, that's the answer. He saw things, Jesus saw things more clearly. He understood what the devil was trying to do. He understood that Satan was trying to get him to reason with him. He understood that Satan was trying to move him off the position, that Satan was trying to distort and and, and skew the way he looked at things and saw things. And Jesus didn't take the bait. He didn't fall for that. And we have the opportunity to walk in that same victory. But as long as we're deceived by the enemy... He's going to be able to work in our lives to the extent that his deceptions dwell in our hearts. Okay, I hope I got that clear. Is everybody all right? Man, y'all are so quiet this morning. Is that okay? Is that all right? Are you getting anything out of this so far? Okay, all right. Can we go a few more minutes? I want to I at least introduce this next part. So, we live in the information age here on planet earth anybody ever heard that expression the information age well if if you don't know and i'm not going to bore you with all the figures but the information age is accelerating exponentially and technology 
has placed lifetimes of information literally at our fingertips. Now, in light of Jesus' teaching on having a single eye, a singular focus, do you see how Satan uses the relentless tidal waves of information to overwhelm us and try to fragment our focus? Now, I want to ask you a question, and, and I understand that there's different ways that people could answer this question and, and give us real spiritual answers, and, we, and we're looking for spiritual answers, don't misunderstand me, but, but think about it for a minute. Who, who does your thinking for you? Because if the devil has his way, He's going to do your thinking for you. He, in other words, he wants to so influence what you think and how you look at things. And he is constantly presenting, constantly presenting alternative perspectives for our focused consideration. So who does your thinking for you? Now, there's a reason why I'm asking this question. Bethany, um, in, in raising my grandson, she's obviously a teacher, and she's curious like her, her dad, and, and she does a, a lot of research and study and all sort of stuff. And, and one of the things that she explained to me when Oliver was just a newborn is some of the latest research that shows how the developing brains of children are negatively impacted by too much television. Now stay with me for a minute. I'm not here to rail against television. That's not what I'm about to do. I I want you to see the bigger picture here. Okay, pun intended. I want you to see the bigger picture. So again... Research revealing, because, um, think about this for a moment, okay? There's a generation on the earth right now that's coming of age, and their entire lives, if their parents did it, are now in the digital universe. Anybody got, anybody got photos in the back of the family photo album back when it was old school, you know, that, um, amen, they're, they're for family's eyes only, right? No, not, not in our world today. Somebody said this, they said, older generations have no idea what it's like to come of age and have their childhood tantrums on the internet for anybody who wants to see them to, to look at them. Yowza. See, it's a different world that we live in. Anybody been to a restaurant lately and watched mom and dad babysit their kids by handing them their cell phone? This is one of my favorites. Are you ready? That children today learn to swipe before they learn to wipe. And it's true. It's true. They just sit there. 
I mean, Samuel David, not even two yet, and he he likes to see pictures on my phone and Pam's phone, like family pictures, things of this nature. And man, he he knows how to collapse the screen, and he, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just second nature to them. Okay, but now. Again, I'm not here to rail against the television, but this was what Bethany explained to me, and of course I've done some digging into it myself. So how how too much screen time, well that's a new term in our world, isn't it? Praise God. How that's affecting the developing brains of children. Well, watch this now. I want you to compare for a moment reading a child a story to the child watching the same story on television. Which one engages more of the child's attention and imagination? So obviously listening to the story as it is read requires more effort, here's a key word, to envision the story's various scenes and characters. When you watch the story on television, someone else has done the imagining for you. You follow me this morning? Someone else has done the imagining for you. Maybe you're here and, and you, like to, you like to read and they, and they say something like, um, you know, people who like a really popular book that becomes a movie. And people who read the book, then they go watch the movie and they despise the movie. Why is that? Because the movie is somebody else's vision of what the main character looked like, right? So, are you following me? Am I, if I'm going too far out on a limb, just stay with me because I'm trying to get you to see something here. All of this is, 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 is strategies of the enemy, right? He doesn't want you, the devil does not want you to, first of all, to think for yourself. But as we've learned, reasoning amongst ourselves is, is, is not always the safest thing, Right? But ultimately, we're to who? We're to reason together with who? We're to reason together with God. So, Bethany even carried it like a step further. She has books that only have pictures with no words. Not because trying to dumb it down. It's because Oliver sits in my lap now and he looks at the picture and it's his responsibility to supply the words. So you've got it two ways, right? You've got words in a book and you're supplying the pictures, envisioning, right? Now you reverse that. You've got pictures. Okay, Oliver, tell me the story now. What's, what's happening here? So now he begins to look at the pictures. So what is this doing? It's, it's helping his brain develop and, 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 and parts of the brain that picture and imagine and, and envision, envision things. Again, the way God created and designed it to do versus, watch this now, I'm not trying to be corny, versus a box that tells you the vision. A tell-a-vision. Right? Where you're not thinking for yourself. You say, Pastor Mark, are you, are you really trying to go there? Are you trying to spiritualize this this morning? I absolutely am, because the question is, who does your thinking for you? See, one of, the reasons, one of the reasons that television is so popular in our world today 
is we come home from a long day, we've, we've been busy, we've you know, to answer a thousand questions, solve a hundred problems, also, and we just like to sit down, veg out on the TV, and turn something on and, and let it think for us, basically. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to send you to hell, okay? That, that's not the point I'm trying to make. I'm, I'm trying to get you to see the bigger picture of what the enemy's trying to do in our lives. He wants to bring a generation forth on the earth once again. It's happened before where every thought in every person's heart, right, is only evil continually. Stand with me this morning. Every thought in every person's heart, only evil continually. Anybody know what that was? That was the days leading up to Noah's flood. Noah's flood. Where Satan has so controlled the narrative that he, remember now, he's, he's the God of this world and every person in this world, I'm sorry, every person of this world, we're in it but not of it, every person that's of this world that's not born again, we're, not, we're in this world but we're not of it, right? But those who are, who are of this world, the Bible says Satan has influence over them. He, they're, 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 they're suffering under, under, under his sway, under, under his influence. Who does your thinking for you? When is the last time you've had a situation in your life that the first time, the first person you took it to was God? I'm not, listen, I'm not rebuking you for doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I do it to some extent myself. But you know, we, we're so quick to grab the tablet. We're so quick to grab the smartphone and, and start asking everybody else. And now we're getting this tidal wave of information. You ought to do this. You ought to try this. You ought to go here. You ought to this. Yeah. And, and notice now we're becoming more and more, little by little, more and more dependent upon what other people say, about what other people think. Who's doing your thinking for you? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. When Jesus told them to take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. In another place, he also cautioned us. Three leavens. We'll get to it next week. Three leavens. I thought we'd get there this week. Three leavens. The leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees, and the leaven of the Sadducees. And in each one of those categories, Jesus is talking about Different ways of thinking, different ways of looking at things, different ways of believing things. And he's telling you and me, not just the group that was with him that day, he's, t- he's telling all of us, you can't allow those influences into your heart, into your mind, because as you look through those things, they're going to alter the way you experience life and how you see yourself and your role in Father's kingdom in this world. Amen. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we say thank you for your wisdom. We say thank you for your help. Father, when Jesus said, take heed, beware, he wasn't just being repetitive or saying the same word twice. He was wanting us to, be, to, to wake up and take notice of what Satan is trying to do and how he's trying to manipulate and influence our lives. Father, I thank you today that that you are revealing to us, your people, the subtle influences of the Pharisee, the Sadducee, and the Herodian. 
Father, that you are making us aware of, of how the world in which we live is applying so much pressure to us to, to see things the way they see them, to look at, at, at life and what life's all about through the same lens that they're living their lives through. But I thank you, Father, that we have the greater one this morning. I thank you, Father, that we are of God. We've been born of you. We have overcome this world already because Jesus has overcome it and given us his victory. And greater is he. The greater one is in us. And no matter how much the pressure, Father, is turned up around us, Lord, I thank you that, that greater is he who's in us. The greater one is in us. Your love is greater. Your grace is greater. Your truth is greater. And we thank you, Lord, this morning for helping us live the life of victory that you created us to live, bringing glory to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. One more time, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Amen. If you are blessed to have your dad still on planet Earth this morning, make sure you reach out to him today and show him some love. Good things coming. We'll see you Wednesday, if not before.